Why has marriage never gone out of style? I mean, think about it. Throughout the course of, of human history, thousands and thousands of years, different societies, different civilizations and cultures, different nations, marriage hasn't gone out of style. It's not like, okay, we're, we're done with this. There's a new way, a new path that we're going to chart out as civilization. Why has it never gone out of style? Now, I understand that, that marriage is in decline in certain places at certain times. I understand that. I understand that there are certain perversions of marriage, but yet it still holds fast that on every inhabitable continent, every place that we have this desire of men and women to marry, to give themselves in marriage, it holds true that God has placed on the hearts of men and women everywhere to be married. Why is that? Well, as Christians, we understand God created marriage. We look to, to God's Word. We see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that marriage is God's creation. It's His invention. It's His idea. Indeed, it's His gift to humanity. We see back in Genesis 1 and 2 that, that marriage existed before human sin did which helps us understand that first man and woman, Adam and Eve, that first husband and wife, had they never sinned, had they not given in to disobedience, there still would have been marriage. And it also helps us understand that, that after their sin, as, as marriage continued, that there would be trouble in marriage. That marriage is a beautiful thing. It's a relationship that's filled with joy. Yet at the same time, there's trouble. And it also helps us understand that Satan himself the one who launched the attack on the first husband and wife in the Garden in Eden continues to launch that attack on marriages today. And we also understand from God's Word that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, He's redeemed marriage. He's given us an understanding of what human marriage is all about. Revealed as the eternal Son of God who came down to earth, helping us understand that human marriage is a picture of the divine marriage of Jesus Christ to His bride, the church. You see, as Christians, we have an understanding of marriage that points us to who God is and who Jesus is. As Christians, we submit to God's plan for marriage. One man and one woman becoming one flesh in a permanent union, as long as they both shall live. Well, marriage and family, it's an important topic in the book of Proverbs. That's where we've been this summer, in the book of Proverbs. And this topic keeps on coming up specifically as King Solomon is giving lessons to his son. So we think this morning about the topic of marriage and the warning that King Solomon is giving to his son concerns adultery unfaithfulness in marriage, the breach of the marriage covenant relationship. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 20 through 35 this morning. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and turn with me in your copy of God's Word. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible right in front of you in that pew rack, and I want to invite you to take that Bible, use it this morning. That's the best way to stay engaged with the sermon is to open up to Proverbs chapter 6. That's found on page 531 in your pew Bible, page 531. And if you come this morning and you don't own a Bible, use that Bible this morning and then take it home with you. That's our gift 
to you. In fact, even better, talk to a member around you, if someone invited you, or any of our pastors will be at the doors afterwards. We'd love to connect you with someone here at our church that could read the Bible with you. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 through 35 is where we are this morning. Let me read through all of this passage as we begin our time together. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry, but if he's caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. We've been making our way through the Proverbs this summer. Last week, we were in chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. We pick up this morning, verses 20 through 35. And I want you to see this main idea in the passage. If you're taking notes this morning, this is the main idea that I want you to see. Hold fast to the word and avoid the high cost of folly. Hold fast to the word and avoid the high cost of folly. Well, in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, we've been looking at this structure that we find 10 speeches from a father to his son. And once again, here in verse 20, we find the words, my son. Another parental lesson here. The father is King Solomon writing to his son, passing on wisdom that he gained from God. And this is parental lesson number nine of a list of 10. Now, what we looked at last week in verses 1 through 19, that was a bit of an interlude. It wasn't included in these 10 lessons, really important content there. But here in verse 20, these lessons resume. And in this ninth lesson from father to son, we see that God cares about marriage. God cares about sexual purity. You know, the lesson in Proverbs 6, it's a warning There's all types of folly, and the type of folly addressed here is sexual folly, specifically adultery. Now consider the amount of teaching on the topic of adultery. If you were here a few weeks ago, Pastor Johnny preached through Proverbs 5, the entire chapter there dedicated to that. Today, here at the end of chapter 6, and then next week, Lord willing, Pastor Tim will preach, will be in chapter 7, the whole chapter about adultery. Keep in mind the final three lessons from Solomon to his son. 
Lesson 8, Lesson 9, Lesson 10, all about adultery. This wasn't something that we just kind of cooked up and elders and said, this is a topic we want to talk about. This is a topic that was set by the agenda of God's Word. And it stands out to me, those final three lessons from father to son, warning about adultery. If you want to walk in God's wisdom, you need to consider the serious and high cost of committing adultery. Now, we noted last week that Proverbs 6 has a negative tone to it. So there's two different ways to grow in wisdom. One is to hold up what's beautiful and right and saying, look around you for wisdom and and follow and pursue what is good and wise. And yet there's another way as well. It's pointing to folly. It's saying, look around you to what's wicked and what's wrong and what's and learn from that example by avoiding it. So Proverbs 6 does have a negative tone to it because it comes with a strong caution. And so much of what we see here in these verses, it highlights the folly we are to avoid. As we make our way through these verses this morning, I want to divide up our main idea into four parts this morning. First, the first part we're going to see in verses 20 through 24, the plan for avoiding folly. Verses 20 through 24, the plan for avoiding folly. These fatherly lessons in the beginning of Proverbs, again, written from a father to son to point him to travel the path of God's wisdom and to avoid sinful folly. And here in verses 20 through 24, Solomon directs his son to keep the teaching that he's received and not turn away from it. We see in verse 20, these instructions are not merely counsel. This isn't just advice on how to have a good marriage. He's dealing with command. He's dealing with what is required, a command from God. The teaching and the commandments that the Father is referring to there in verse 20, he's talking about God's commands. So he's passing on the Word of God to his Son. And his teaching is showing what it looks like to live in a faithful covenant relationship With God. Now, in the Old Covenant, the relationship that the nation of Israel had with God, truth came from God to Moses on Mount Sinai. He received on Mount Sinai what? The Ten Commandments. And the order there was that Moses would deliver this to the nation and that parents would pass on these commands to their children and would instruct them and teach them the Word of God. In the law given to Moses, Ten Commandments, there's a seventh commandment there. We find that recorded in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. It reads, you shall not commit adultery. Seventh commandment, from God to Moses, to the nation of Israel, to the parents to instruct and teach their children. So what Solomon is doing here in this proverb is what God instructed his people to do in Deuteronomy chapter 6, to teach this diligently to their children. Listen to the instruction you've received is what parents are to call their children to. Don't forget the Word of God. Remember what you've heard from God's Word. Think about how much of obedience is remembering. And God is so gracious to give us as Christians something on our calendar every week. Every Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, the morning that Jesus got up from the dead, We get together to remember who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. We get to remember his word. You may have been a Christian a long time. 
You might have spent a lot of time in Proverbs 6. You might be really familiar with this passage. But we come this morning, even if you're familiar, we come this morning to grow in our faith. And we need to be reminded. Look at verse 21. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. Again, a theme throughout the Proverbs and really throughout the Word of God. In order to truly obey God, your heart must keep God's commandments. The law of God has to be internalized. Our heart matters. True obedience is never merely superficial. And we see in this that God cares not only about our actions, He cares about those, but He also cares about our hearts. You see, in the New Covenant, all of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, are empowered to obey from the heart. The the law of God, His commands, written on your hearts by the power of the Spirit of God, empowering you and causing you to obey. It's what the prophet Jeremiah looked forward to in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You see, all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, we have hope. We have hope that Christ dwells in us. His Spirit has filled us from the moment of conversion. Our desire to obey God, indeed the strength to persevere in obeying God, has come from the Lord Himself. So the call here, let your heart keep my commandments. Well, why? Verses 22 through 24, they provide the motivation. This teaching will guide you, and this teaching will will guard you. Look at that. This teaching guides the faithful. Verse 22. When you walk, they will lead you. Verse 23, teaching guides the faithful. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. This teaching also guards the faithful. That should bring us great comfort this morning if your faith is in Jesus Christ. You're, You're guided by the Word of God, and you're guarded. Look at the end of verse 22. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake... They will talk with you. I love that picture. The commandments of God filling your your mind, uh, forming and shaping your thoughts, uh, empowering and giving fuel to desires to honor God and to please Him. Brothers and sisters, God has graciously given us as His people His Word to guide us and to guard us as we seek to walk the path of wisdom, the path that He placed us on. The path that he set our feet on, he continues to supply us with what we need in his word. So the plan for avoiding folly, hold fast to the word of God. That's the plan. Hold fast to the word of God. And I think what this looks like practically is thinking biblically. I think holding fast to the word of God means thinking biblically. As we seek to walk the path of wisdom, that means knowing God's Word. He alone is wise. We must seek His wisdom from His Word. We must pray for help to apply His Word to everyday life. It involves thinking biblically. Now, there are some things like this that are commands, and thinking biblically just means that we know God's commands. So so you don't need like lots of counsel and advice when it comes down to the seventh command. It's just an opportunity for us to say, God, we need your help in obeying this. Now, there's plenty of other things in life that require everyday wisdom. 
And there's plenty of times, if we're honest, we just like a manual telling us what to do. All right, what should I do for my job? All right, how should I think about educating my kids? And sometimes some of you act like there actually is a manual and one way to do that, which just isn't true. It's much easier to try to say this is the only way than to walk in wisdom. Because wisdom requires that we think biblically and we take God's Word and those matters that are not command, that we take His Word and seek wisdom to apply those to our everyday lives, to decisions that we make. But also thinking biblically means we know God's commands. We know what it is that He's forbidden. We know what is commended and we know what is commanded. And we seek His help in honoring and obeying Him. Brother and sister, if you're going to grow in thinking biblically, you must give yourself to regular Bible intake. I think that starts on, on Sunday mornings. I, I love the idea of devotions throughout the week and, and Bible reading plans. Those are important. I would commend those to you. But I would understand that the main feeding time of God's keep people, it begins corporately here this morning, the first day of the week, the Lord's day. This ordinary means of grace by which you'll grow as a Christian is to sit under the preaching and teaching of God's Word. We sing the Word. We read the Word. We see God's Word visually in baptism and in the Lord's Supper. And you sit and listen to sermons from the Word of God. We want to extend that by personal devotion throughout the week. Quiet times and and regular spiritual disciplines and studying the Bible with others. We heard about the women's Bible study, and there's men's Bible studies going on here. Getting together and talking about the Word of God and how to apply the sermon in our community groups. All those things are really important. Memorizing God's Word, meditating on the Word of God. And as you hear the Word, as you're shaped by the Word, to seek to obey the Word of God. You'll be guided and guarded by the truth. Thinking biblically, that's where Solomon starts off, thinking biblically and applying the commandments to life. So the plan that we see here, and notice how it applies practically in verse 24. As you're guided by the truth of God's Word, notice the connection there in verse 24. The teaching will protect and guide the faithful specifically from sexual sin and folly, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. So as you walk down the way of life, as you walk down the path of wisdom, you will regularly face temptation. Hold fast to the word you've received. That teaching will shine a light on darkness. That teaching will preserve you. The plan to avoid folly, hold fast to the word. And the rest of this passage, and really the, the rest of these verses, we find consequences for the sexual folly of adultery. And next we see, number two, in verse 25 through 26, the price of adultery. The price of adultery. Keep in mind the context here, father riding the son, and the temptation here, though it goes both ways. Men and women will be tempted with sexual lust, Men and women will be tempted with adultery. And the temptation comes from both men and women. Men who seek to wrongly seduce women and women that seek to seduce men. This just happens to be the context here. Solomon's writing to his son. So this is framed with a son on the path of obedience, temptation coming his way. 
Now, you consider the price of a lot of things in life. Now, some of you wait a long time to make a purchase because you're really looking at the price and comparing costs and whatnot. Well, if we do that with things like vehicles, if we do that with, with things like what we're going to do with back-to-school supplies, if you consider the cost of so many things that you spend money on, certainly we should consider the high cost of adultery. That's what father is doing to son here. And this introduction in verse 24 of the evil woman, of the adulteress, it leads to a warning. The warning is really clear and brief there in verse 25. The phrase, do not, appears twice. It's a warning, kind of like a, a do not enter sign, a warning you about an unauthorized area that you should not enter into. Verse 25, do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Before the act of adultery comes desire. Comes desire for someone that's not your spouse. Uh, notice the warning here before it gets to action. It's about lust. In other words, you stay away from adultery by not giving your mind and your heart over to lust. The arousal of, of sinful, evil desire, it has a path that runs through your eyes into your heart, arousing sinful desires. Nothing wrong with physical beauty, but looking and admiring physical beauty that has nothing to do with you, which means if that's not your husband or wife, you're not to sit there and gaze and give yourself to looking at physical beauty, whether that's in person, whether that's on social media, on your phone or whatever, that physical beauty around you, if that's not your husband, wife, if that's a person that really doesn't have anything to do with your life, it's not something of setting your mind and your heart on that's going to bring good fruit. Left unchecked, that sinful desire, it, it grows. The battleground we see here, it's, it's in the heart. That's where King Solomon starts. Remember when Jesus taught on the seventh commandment, that's where he started. He addressed lust in the heart. We read it this morning, Matthew 5, 27. You've heard it, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who, who looks at a woman with lustful intent, that's desire, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. We see throughout the word, Old Testament and New Testament, consistently tracing real obedience from outward actions back down into their internal source, the heart. Outward actions are important, and so is their source. It's sinful to commit adultery, and it's sinful to turn your eyes with lustful intent. And what that means, husband and wife, even your mind is to be reserved for your spouse, your thoughts, your affection. That's to be reserved for your spouse, delighting in them. Slow down a little bit in life. Think about God's gift to you. If you're married, your, your husband, wife, think about God's gift to you. Think about the ways he's, he's blessed you. Think about evidence of God's grace that you can see there. And I know there are seasons in marriage that are hard, and sometimes it's hard to overcome conflict hard, different things, and to see what is objectively true and real. There's evidence of God's grace. Look for it. Praise Him for that. Ask that He would grow your desire and your affection for the spouse that He's given you. Now, throughout the Proverbs, exhortations are, are followed by motivation for obedience. So we, we've noted before, Solomon doesn't just say, obey me because I said so. 
He'll often draw out a beautiful picture of obedience, or he'll draw out the consequences of folly. And here he describes plainly that the path of folly is filled with pain and punishment. Verse 26, this section that distinguishes the the adulteress in two ways, it uses the language here of a prostitute and a married woman. Verse 26, for the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a, a precious life. Both are clearly wrong here, sinful, foolish. Both are adultery. Both have a price, is what Solomon's saying. One has a, a loaf of bread, the prostitute, a loaf of bread as a price. That, that's the fee. But the price of adultery with a married woman, it's your life. It has a high cost. It affects your whole life. It certainly affects the lives of others. There's nothing that's done in private. There's going to be victims Adultery destroys marriages. It destroys families. It destroys homes. Even here, a married woman, a married man with another married woman, two marriages destroyed, two marriages impacted. It does deep damage. The idea here is be clear of the high cost and don't enter. Don't start on that path with lust. Don't start with desire. Think about this again, a warning, do not enter. At the beginning, when I first came here to the church replant, we didn't have a facilities director. Uh, There was a lot that myself and Chad Coleman, who was a pastoral assistant, we kind of did on our own here throughout the day. And uh, one of those things is that our elevator sometimes would go out. Like if, if power went out, our elevator would go out. And so guess who was in there trying to fix it? I don't, it didn't make a lot of sense, but it'd be me and be Chad. I don't know anything about elevators. But we'd go in there, and there was a button you're supposed to press, and we'd try to figure it out, and I'd press this button to get the elevator back going. Well, one time we had something happen in the elevator. We couldn't figure it out. We called the repairman out here. He came in, and he looked at the situation, and he said, hey, who's been in here messing with us? I said, well, I have. He said, hey, you should never come in here again. And I said, why not? <laughs> he said, you see that red wire right there? I said, yeah, and that red wire was right next to where I'd been pressing a button. He said, if you touch that red wire, you'll die. I said, what? Are you you kidding me? He said, no, if you touch that red wire, you'll die. It's got an electric bolt running through it. And I was thinking, I was about like two inches from death right there. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I will tell you what, I will never step foot in this closet again. That was about six years ago. I've never gone in there. I've never even thought about it. We put a do not enter on there for the rest of you so you don't ever think about it, so no one else makes that mistake. But I have never thought about going in that elevator closet again. If it's out, I'm sorry. Please don't come get me. We're going to have to call a professional. I won't go in there. Like, it's just not worth my life. Like, I, I don't want to go out like that. <laughs> but that do not enter sign, I think about that with adultery, a high cost. It will cost you your life. That's all it should take. That's all it should take. God's word telling us it will cost you your life. And we need to be reminded of that. Stay away. Be clear of the high price of adultery and seek God's help to avoid it. Adultery comes at a high cost. It also brings tremendous pain. That's what we see in verses 27 through 29, part 3. The pain of adultery. The pain of adultery. Again, verses 27 and 28 show the practical consequences of sexual folly. And two illustrations here use fire to make the point. You've probably heard the line, if you play with fire, what? You will get burned. 
Look at verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. You should not play with fire. We learned that as, as kids, right? And these two illustrations make the point of that old line that you're so familiar with. Adultery is playing with fire, and if you play with fire, you will get burned. You, you won't escape unscathed. Now, to be sure, fire is a good thing. Many of us have fireplaces in our, our houses. Fires are nice to look at. Fires keep you warm. But that fire, it needs to stay in the fireplace. I mean, if you thought about how dangerous it is to have fire in your house, I bring an element like fire inside our living room. It's a beautiful thing, but it's also pretty dangerous. And that's why you should have a screen there. That, that screen prevents any spark from getting out of the fireplace and into the living room, starting a fire that will burn your entire house down. Remove that screen, be unattentive to that fire, and your house is likely to catch fire and get destroyed. Fire in its right place is beautiful. Fire in the wrong place is not only dangerous, it's deadly. And so it is with adultery. It is playing with fire, and you will not escape unscathed. You see, the only proper place for sexual intimacy is husband and wife. That's it. Now listen, I, I understand if you maintain that biblical sexual ethic, that the only context for sexual intimacy is a husband and wife, that increasingly sounds bizarre and strange to the world around us. I don't know where else you can go today and hear that besides a Christian church. I really don't know. I was at the doctor's office this past week, a couple days ago. You know, you go through this checklist by a nurse that comes in before the doctor sees you. And, and then you go through them pretty fast. Are you allergic to this? No, no, no. Yes, 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 yes. And we get down to one place and the nurse asks me, are you sexually active? I said, yes. Now, she had not asked me yet if I was married. That was just kind of the first, are you sexually active? Yes. Now, I'm a 45-year-old dude standing there. Are you sexually active? Yes. The next question was, what type of partner? And I was just a bit confused. And I was like, what type of partner? And then she looked at me, she said, male or female? And I still was confused. I answered, I just said, uh, I'm married, I have a wife. And she said, okay. She kind of kept going through the list. And she came back at the end and she said, you know, I have to ask these questions and you never really know what you're going to hear. And I said, yeah, I was just a bit confused. I, I'm a Christian. My wife and I have been married for over 20 years. That's the normal and natural setting for those sexual relationships. And she was actually really encouraged by the conversation. I didn't know how she was going to respond. She was a nurse, never met her before. She was actually really encouraged. And we had a brief conversation, and, and she said to me, my morning has started off right. Sadly, it was just odd for her to hear something that for Christians is so normal, right? Husband and wife, that, that is the only place. You know, if you're here this morning and you're single, we're glad you're here. We, we think this message, it's God's Word, it, it applies to everyone. God certainly calls some to singleness, if not only for a season, and that's a good thing, and, and that's His, his plan. 
And we also understand that he gives most to marriage. We see this, his wisdom in natural reproduction and keeping the world going. Uh, but this applies to everyone and that we want to hold up what is beautiful and right, God's good design. He invented marriage. He invented sex. He invented reproduction. They're all for his glory. They're all meant to be God's good gift, and it's only for husband and wife. And we can all together affirm this. And, and we need to know, as society changes, it values change, this is only for husband and wife. It is not for boyfriend and girlfriend. It is not for engaged couples. It is not for fiancés. It is for husband and wife. The only permissible content, which is good and God-honoring. Let's think about the pain involved in going outside of God's good plan. And if you want to stay on the path of wisdom, consider the consequences of sin and the pain that adultery brings. Furthermore, another set of consequences in verses 30 through 35, part 4, the last part, verses 30 through 35, the punishment for adultery. That's what we see in verses 30 through 35, the punishment for adultery. The punishment explained here by using an illustration, it moves from lesser to greater. In verse 30, the scenario is given of a thief to compare stealing to adultery. In verse 30, the scenario is given of a thief there. So if a man steals money to keep from starving, it's, it's still a, a crime. That's breaking the eighth commandment. Yet there'll be more mercy attached to that crime than breaking the seventh commandment, committing adultery. All sin's wrong. As Christians, we don't believe in a moral equivalence, meaning not all sin has the same impact. We heard about that most recently on July 9th on our Sunday evening. Just the impact of sexual sin and sinning against your own body. All other sins happen outside, but it's going to be sinning against your own body. Well, here we see this comparison. Both are wrong but there's a lesser to greater argument. The reasoning in verse 31 is the thief, he'll, he'll still have to pay for his crimes. Verse 31 is still a crime. He will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. Sevenfold, uh, it could just mean to fully replay. So, so the number seven is complete repayment. It could actually be sevenfold, and that's what was required. At any rate, he loses everything. Becoming a servant to the one he stole from is what that means. You lose everything. You're indebted to this person that you stole from. Stealing will ruin a thief financially is the, is the idea here. They will lose all that they have. But the contrast, how much more costly the penalty for one who commits adultery. Verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away lacking sense. It means without understanding. It means without heart. You could literally translate, and sometimes we overuse this word. So I think you got to really think about what this word in English means, stupid. We overuse that. We call all kinds of things stupid that really aren't. But that means lacking sense. Like it's just a stupid decision to go down the path of adultery. You lack sense if you do it. There's a punishment. The, the thief will ruin themselves financially. But the one who commits adultery will ruin themselves holistically. There's a final punishment described there in verses 34 through 35. It describes how an offended husband will react when he's found out 
another man has been with his wife. It says there will be fury. You can expect revenge. There are horizontal consequences for breaking the seventh commandment, against sinning against your neighbor. We, we see this even spelled out here in verses 34 through 35. There's a jealous response. There's fury. He will not spare when he takes revenge. Verse 35 might refer to a courtroom setting. He will accept no compensation. He's not going to accept that sediment or the multiple gifts. There will be revenge that is sought after. It's just highlighting there will be horizontal consequences and punishment that comes for breaking the seventh commandment. It's sinning against your neighbor. It's wrong. Brother and sister, you must recognize first and foremost, as deep and as painful as that punishment is horizontally, first and foremost, adultery is an offense against a holy God the God who created marriage. And you should fear above all His judgment, His evaluation, His accountability for that. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. It comes with strong language. It's a strong warning. It's meant to have an impact. Proverbs help us feel the impact of the truth. Proverbs help us feel the beauty assigned with God and His wisdom. And Proverbs helps us feel the darkness assigned with dishonoring God and walking down the path of wisdom and folly. And if this passage has the correct impact on you, it should make you feel that right now. The seriousness of this passage. This sin is great. We're Christians. We understand that all sin is against God first and foremost. We understand that there is no sin that we commit that God will not forgive. We understand He's gracious and merciful. We see stories throughout the Bible of God forgiving adultery. Solomon's own father with his mom, Bathsheba, David, and Bathsheba. We see here that King David repented of his adultery, and God forgave him. David confessed his sin. He confessed his sin was against the Lord. The Lord forgave him. But brother and sister, don't skim over. There were still consequences. Jesus died to save you from your sin, the penalty of your sin. But Jesus will not save you from all the consequences here on earth from your sinful decisions. Meaning God is right, and he's good to let us understand there will be consequences from sin. He forgives us. Listen to what was said there to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10, even as he repented there. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. David was forgiven. There were still consequences. The sword was against his household. His house was a mess after that. Don't be one who just happens to skip over serious sin like this and just think, oh, God will forgive me, making light of God's kindness and His forgiveness. Take the warning. Let it affect you. Seek His help. He's already provided help. He's already given you His Spirit. He's already written His Word in your heart. He's already surrounded you with a church family, brothers and sisters that are for you, praying for one another, trying to encourage one another and build each other up here to be there for one another. 
consider all of that, yet don't skim over the pain and the punishment associated with this. So how do we think about the plan? Let's close by returning to the plan. Think biblically. Think biblically. Hold fast to the Word of God. And when we hold fast to the written Word, the written Word exalts the living Word. Meaning the written Word exalts who God is and what He's done in Jesus, the living Word. Brother and sister, look to Jesus. Christ is faithful. If you need motivation, if you need help, if you need strength and and wisdom, that's found in Jesus Christ. Later on in the New Testament, we see this picture of intimacy, the one flesh union in human marriage. We understand here later in Ephesians chapter 5, there's an illustration given of the union between Jesus and his bride, the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul teaches that marriage is an intimate picture of the ultimate Savior. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, helps us understand why human marriage was invented. It's a picture of God's grace and His love and His kindness. 531, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is intended to point us all to Christ. Human marriage is a a sacred reflection of the great marriage designed by God before all of creation, the marriage of Jesus Christ to His bride, the church. And just as husband and wife become one in marriage, so Christ and His church, the bride there, they are, are one. Marriage is something that God designed to display His deep love for His people. That's why we hold up marriage. This isn't merely about tradition. This is about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and His deep love. The union, that sacred union of husband and wife, gives us a picture of the greatest union, the covenant relationship of Jesus Christ to His church. Look to Christ. He's the perfect bridegroom. He is always faithful. He has promised to never leave or forsake His bride, always to be with her. Christ there present with His people, indeed in His people, preparing them for that last day. He's the perfect bridegroom. He loved His bride, the church, so much that He gave up Himself, all of who He is, in loving self-sacrifice, willingly laying His life down and dying on the cross, all because He loved His bride all to rescue her, to save her, to redeem her. He got up from the dead that he might deliver her from the power of sin. You see, Jesus is always committed to the good of his bride, never will leave her, never will forsake her, always at work in his church, preparing us for that final day that we are fully united to him. If you want to know the love of Christ, turn from your sin. Seek forgiveness found only in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian, to become one with Him, to be in a relationship with God, is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the love you were created for. It's the only way to know the love of God. And for those who have already done that, for those of you this morning that are members of our church who by God's grace have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been baptized upon that profession of faith in Jesus, we need to be reminded that those who belong to Jesus are strengthened to look like Him and to love like Him. 
He strengthens us to live like, look like Him and love like Him to walk in faithfulness. Adultery is such a big deal because God is faithful to His people through Jesus Christ. We should long to imitate Jesus. What more do we need? God's given us all of Himself in Jesus. He's filled us with His Spirit. And if we are to grow, if we are to continue on the path of wisdom, look to Jesus in temptation. Look to Him for forgiveness. Look to Him for help. And I would want to say this morning, if your marriage is in trouble, please don't let shame keep you from coming and seeking help. If you come to your elders, we will not hammer you. We'll help you. We love you. Christ loves you. Christ is for your marriage, and so are we as a church. And the worst thing you could do is keep sin in secret, to let fear keep you from stepping forward to get the help you need to walk in faithfulness. And I also want you to know this morning, if you're entertaining the thought of leaving your spouse, you're entertaining committing adultery. And this was God's grace this morning to you, to give you this message, to help you see the pain and the punishment, to keep you from doing that. Seek out the help you need. Again, we will not hammer you. We'll help you. God loves you. He's for you. And so are we as his people. And together as a church, let none of us think more highly of ourselves than we ought. We did not put ourselves on the path of wisdom. Christ did. He saved us. And we don't keep ourselves on the path of wisdom. We have a responsibility. But the one who empowers our obedience is Christ. And may we be comforted and encouraged this morning to look to Christ. He will hold us fast. Let's bow and pray.